This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Well, as many of you may know, I'll be getting married soon. And one of the things we studied about was uh, leaving and cleaving to each other and how the first year of marriage is usually rough. And that's a great correlation between our marriage uh, with, with our marriage to Christ. The first year as a Christian, is, it's very difficult. And one of the biggest struggles new Christians have is having to deal with sin. You see, the Bible commands us to repent and do a complete 180 and leave our past behind us. You see, for some people, it's easier than others. For some, it's not so easy. It's not easy to stop doing all the fun things you used to do, to not hang out with your best friend, to not watch all your favorite movies, shows, listen to your favorite music. And since becoming a Christian, I've had to learn how to deal with my sins. And of course, I still struggle some. But the only difference between then and now is I've learned to take responsibility of my sin. Before I used to be, woe is me. I can't help but sin. It's not my fault that I find myself looking at stuff online. I just turned on my laptop and there it was. It's not my fault that I'm bitter and angry at the government. I mean, do you not see what they're doing to this country? Why is that person even in office? It's not my fault that I want things all the time. Every time I scroll through social media, I see people posting up their big fancy houses, their nice cars. You know what? I want those things. Why can't I have those things? It's not my fault. It's the movies, the shows, the commercials. I mean, have you seen them nowadays? They're all so nasty, vulgar, and sensualized. It's not my fault that I was raised up this way. And if you don't like it, you know what? That's, that's your problem. That's not my problem. It's not my fault that my friends pressure me to go out drinking with them every weekend. You see, these are all excuses, examples, reasons, whatever you want to call them, that I've made, and maybe you have as well. But see, these these excuses are not good excuses for our sins. For the Bible makes it clear that it's our choice to sin. It's our choice to serve sin. That's what the Bible says in Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But see, but don't think that you're alone when you make these excuses, for we have been doing it since the beginning, starting with the very first sin, starting with Adam and Eve. You see, after Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God confronted Adam and asked him, Did you eat of the tree of the one that I told you not to eat of? And this is what Adam had to say in Genesis 3:12. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I did eat. You see, when Adam was confronted of his sin, all all he could do was just blame it on Eve. He said, It wasn't my fault. It was her. She gave me the tree. But not only did he blame Eve, he also blamed God. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, it's the woman that you gave me, God. So God also confronted Eve of her sin. And of course, she did the same thing Adam did. In verse 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. She said the same thing. It wasn't my fault. It was the serpent. He tricked me. And it continues on. After the Exodus, when Moses was on top of Mount Sinai getting the law from God, you see, the people got impatient and demanded that Aaron make them an idol, a god, that they could worship. So Aaron gathered up gold from everyone, and carved out this molten calf and built an altar for it. And when Moses came down from the mount, he saw the people dancing, singing, eating, just having a grand old time, worshiping this idol. 
And Moses was angry, rightly so. So angry that he threw down the tablets and broke them. And we can read about what happens next in Exodus 32, verse 21 to 24. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people do unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods, which shall go before us. For, for as for this Moses, this man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into a fire, and there came out this calf. This is what Aaron said. He said, Moses, I know you're angry, but it wasn't my fault. It was the people. You know how they are. I didn't even do anything, Moses. They gave me their gold. I threw it into a fire, and there came out this calf. What a story of an excuse for a leader of God's people just to blame it on them. Now, let's look further ahead. Israel became a nation. They got their first king, King Saul. Now, Saul was told to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. He was told to destroy every man, woman, child, lamb, calf, and even the donkeys. So Saul and his army went out and fought the Amalekites and were victorious. But you see, Saul and the people didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites. For the Bible says they spared the king and everything that was good and pleasing to the eyes. But they did destroy everything that was worthless and unpleasing to the eyes. I will give them that. So God had the prophet Samuel confront Saul of his sin. And Samuel asked Saul, Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Why then have you not obeyed the voice of the Lord? And this is what Saul had to say in 1 Samuel 15, verse 20 and 21. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto thy Lord thy God in Gilgal. Saul had a pretty clear command to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he didn't. You see, it amazes me, this mighty man of God, this man who stood head and shoulders over everyone, the king of the nation of Israel, God's people, all he could say was, it wasn't my fault. It was them. These are all three great examples of how we as man have been doing this since the beginning. It's nothing new. But see, it's not that other people are making us sin. The truth of the matter, it's our own self-doing. That's what the Bible says in James 1, 13 and 14. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Our sins come from within us. We are drawn away by our own lust. Now I want to take some time to look at three different areas that contribute to our sins, starting with the heart. You see, the heart of the problem is, our heart is the problem. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart of man from the beginning to the end. This is what Jesus had to say about the heart of man in Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. You see, every sin that we commit comes from the heart. It's not the advertisements on TV. It's not our friends, our family, our spouse, our kid, or whosoever. It's the heart. And one of the biggest ideas that people say and have nowadays is to follow your heart. 
But contrary to popular belief, the Bible says the opposite in Proverbs 28, 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. No, but people today tell you to follow your heart. It'll lead you to happiness, to peace, to love. You know how ridiculous that sounds. Now let's say we have a visitor coming to, to the congregation this morning. On the way here, they get lost. So they contact one of the brothers, and, the, and they're asking for directions. And all the brother can say is, hey, just follow your heart. It'll lead you to the building. As ridiculous as that is, that's what's being taught to our kids. It's certainly something I was taught. But you see, the heart is deceitful. It misleads us into believing what we're doing is okay or right. That's what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 79. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, we're a fool if we follow after our heart. And when we do follow our heart, it'll cause us to harden our heart. And that's what God said about the nation of Israel while they were in the wilderness. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 3.10-13. through 13. Therefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, the problem the Israelites had was that God was not in their heart. This caused them to rebel, after, rebel God and not follow after His ways. And believing what they were doing was okay or right through the deceitfulness of sin and the hardening of their heart. You see, once the heart becomes hardened, we no longer see or take our sins seriously, which will eventually lead us into pride, the other problem that we have. You see, we're too prideful, too stubborn, too stiff-necked to admit, confess, or change our ways because we're worried about how people will perceive us. We think if people find out I do this, they'll never accept me, so I can't let them know. I don't want to lose my status at work, at church, or even in my home. So what do we do? We keep it bottled up within us and try to cover it up with all these good works. You see, Jesus talked about a man who did and said the exact same things in Luke 18. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. When this Pharisee prayed, he was, he was full of pride. When he prayed, he acknowledged that he was glad he wasn't like other men, other sinners. And then he began to tell God of all the good things he has done, but he never acknowledges his own sin. You see, what he was trying to say was, don't look at all my big, bad, ugly sin. Look at all the good things I do for you. Praise me for these things. Don't look at all that. He was trying to say this to appear to be holier than other men, like the publican, when in fact he was no better, if, if not worse, than him. Now, the publican was a different story. This man humbled himself before the Lord and acknowledged that he, was, that he was a sinner and asked God for mercy. This man was humble enough to admit he was a sinful man. 
And we too must humble ourselves when we're wrong in our lives with the Lord and not try to cover up with our own righteousness, for we have no righteousness of our own. So, are you like the Pharisee? We see the sin in everyone else except in ourselves. Jesus said, why do you see a speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in thine own eye? Now, another problem that we have is our minds. You see, we haven't renewed our minds. We still have the same mindset we did when we weren't a Christian. We never put off that old man. This is what Paul said in Romans 12 too. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is telling us to renew our minds and not be conformed to this world. Yet, instead we fill our minds with all this worldly junk, watching all these questionable movies, shows, listening to all the music, the entertainment, and yet we still expect God's holiness to be portrayed out of us. How does that work? Can you squeeze an orange and expect apple juice to come out? Well, of course not. And then we wonder why our kids act the way they do. Sure, I can't tell you this from a, from a parent's perspective, but I can definitely tell you from a child who when he lost both parents, one to, world, one to the world and the other to death. I looked up to the people on TV, music, and entertainment. I saw how they acted. I acted just like them. I heard how they talked. I talked just like them. I was conformed to this world, as Paul said. And when I became a Christian, it was hard to forget everything I learned since I was a kid. <clears throat> but Zig Ziglar has probably one of my favorite quotes, little by little, a little becomes a lot. And we can definitely apply this to our spiritual life. You're not just going to wake up one morning and have the whole Bible memorized. You take it one verse at a time, one day at a time. And this reminds me of a time when my brother and our friends were riding in the car. And uh, a song came on the radio. And one of the guys started reciting the song word for word without missing a beat. And it was honestly pretty impressive. Uh, but my brother said something that I never really forgot. And I'm sure he doesn't remember saying. He said, it's funny how we can memorize a whole song on the radio. But we can't even memorize one verse out of the Bible. And that's stuck with me ever since. You see, in this example, it goes back to all three problems. The heart wasn't there. The pride was there. The, heart, the mind was out in the world. So what will happen if we never fix these problems and continue in our sin? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, that he will not hear. I mean, Isaiah said it best. It's not that God can't save you, that he can't hear you. It's that your sins have separated, to, separated you from Him. And honestly, it doesn't get more clear than that. God will separate Himself from you. And is that not what hell is? A separation from God. And believe me when I say this, God hates sin. Just look in the Old Testament. A man was stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Uzzah for touching the ark when it was falling. Nabat and Abihu who offered strange fire were set on fire. Even in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit dropped on the spot. These are all clear examples that God hates sin and He's serious about it. And at the end, we'll have to answer to all of our sins on Judgment Day. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now for this point, I'd like to take some time to do a little, uh, some quick math. Now, let's say, you say, let's say you sin five times a day. That's roughly 1,820 times in one year. 
And if you live to be 70 years old, that would be 127,400 times you have broken God's law. And you'll have to answer to every one of those. But you might be saying, God is merciful. He knows I didn't mean to do all those things. Surely he'll forgive me. But how does that work? How would that work in today's court? You're standing before a judge with 127,000 charges against you, an outrageous number. And you tell the judge, I know I keep breaking the law, but maybe you could just let it slide. You see, only a corrupt judge will let it slide. A good judge would say, justice demands you pay for your crimes. You see, God is not a corrupt judge. God is a holy and righteous judge. And just as a good judge says, justice demands you pay for your crime, God says the same, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. See, Paul wasn't talking about a temporal death, but an eternal death. The word wages here denotes the pay of a Roman soldier. You see, just as a Roman soldier got paid for the work he did, the same is for the sin we commit. Death is what sin earns you. It's its proper reward. This illustration here shows a man at the end of his life with all of his sin in a giant abyss separating him from God. And as you can tell, there's only one way across. And the rest of verse 23 tells us, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus is the only way across. That's what he said in John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say he is a way. He is a truth or a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way we're able to receive the gift of God is through Jesus. So what do we do? What must we do to come unto Jesus? Well, we must obey the gospel. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we must also repent of our sins. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We must also be baptized. Acts 22.16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, and this, that's what baptism does for, for, for us. In other words, it gives us a clean slate. And the only way we're able to obtain this is because Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us and die. You see, he didn't die because of his sin, for he had no sin. He was sinless. He died for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. And when we're baptized, we partake in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrections. You see, we must kill off that old sinful man, bury him, and come out a new man in Christ. And if you have been baptized for the remission of your sins, and you're still continuing in your sins, I commend you to stop. Romans 6.1, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Grace is a gift from God, and every time we sin, we're throwing that gift away. We are saved by God's grace today. You know what grace stands for? God's riches at Christ's expense. We are able to obtain everlasting glory because of what Jesus did for us. And as I close today, I want to leave you with this. All sin has I in the middle of it. As in I committed this sin. As in I broke God's law. As in I crucified Jesus on that cross. As in every time I sin willfully, I'm the one nailing those stakes deeper and deeper into Jesus. There's a song in her book that goes, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to that tree? I tell you, I was there. And you were there. Not only as spectators, 
but as participants yelling, crucify him, crucify him, mocking him, beating him, and eventually killing him. And, and when you realize what your sins have done to Jesus, then you can truly repent of your sins. So are you going to be like Adam or like Saul or maybe like, like Aaron? When they were confronted of their sins, they were quick to point the finger at someone else. Or are you going to start taking responsibility for your sins, for your actions? You see, I don't know what's in your heart. Only you do. And as we stand and sing, decide who you want to serve. Are you continue serving and being a slave to your sin? Or are you going to free yourself from it and follow after Christ? If you need to be baptized this morning or need prayers from the church, or maybe you just need further studies, please come to the front row as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.